Good morning. I'm Leslie Thatcher, 806. On this Thursday, it's February 8th. See, currently we've got uh, 19 degrees here in Old Town Park City. Heber City reporting 25 degrees. Looks like we've got a little bit of clearing here in Old Town Park City. On the phone with us from the ABC Forecast Center, meteorologist Thomas Geboy. Good morning. Morning, Leslie. Happy Thursday or happy Friday Eve to you. Yeah, and we do have some clearing in the Wasatch back for the time being. I was actually looking at the Park City Mountain camera not too long ago and a pretty sunrise at the top of the mountain after seeing some very healthy snow just within the last 48 hours where both Deer Valley and Park City have picked up roughly half a foot just within the last 24 hours, but even more within the last 48 hours. And we're going to have more unsettled weather as we go from today through the rest of this work week and even could see some snow on Saturday. So the main storm system that brought all of our snow showers yesterday, that's now pulling away to the east and we have two more storm systems on the way. The first one moves in from the southwest as we go from this morning into the afternoon. Then we have one coming in from the northwest by tomorrow. So for today, we'll be looking at a 70% chance of snow showers with that best chance really coming through the afternoon. So snow looks likely after 11 o'clock and that chance of snow remains likely through the afternoon with that chance dwindling a little bit as we head into this evening. The daytime high in Park City will be right around freezing as the daytime high in the Heber Valley will likely top out in the mid 30s. Then into tonight, the overnight low falling to around 20 degrees, so a little bit colder compared to what we've gotten used to in recent days, holding on to roughly a 50-50 chance of snow through the overnight hours, and that lead to some issues again for the Friday morning commute. But as we go into our Friday, that storm system coming out of the northwest will lead to an 80% chance of snow showers across the Wasatch back, and thanks to those winds out of the northwest, it's going to be a little bit of a cooler day with a daytime high topping out at 29 degrees, and we'll hold on to a decent chance of snow 60% through Friday night with the overnight low plummeting to 15 degrees, which is much more like it for this time of year in Park City. And through the day on Saturday, roughly a 50-50 chance of snow, but I think that best chance will generally be through the morning, and that chance should gradually go down as we go from Saturday afternoon into Saturday night. So 50% chance of snow on Saturday through the day, maybe a 20% chance into early on Saturday night, but then by the overnight hours, should be checking in with partly cloudy skies on Saturday. The daytime high topping out at 27 degrees. The overnight low dropping to around 10. And with the wind out of the northwest, it's probably going to feel that bit colder. And then for Sunday into early next week, high pressure looks to set up shop where we'll mainly be checking in with either mostly sunny to partly cloudy skies Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. And each day should just be a fraction warmer than the last. We'll be in the upper 20s on Sunday, low to mid 30s on Monday and then a daytime high in the mid-30s on Tuesday before we could bring back maybe a slight chance of snow by the middle of the week with that daytime high staying in the mid-30s. However, from today through Friday night, we could see upwards of half a foot of snow in Park City. Some forecast models on the optimistic side of things think that we can get to around 10, but depending on the location of these storm systems, there is a chance that we do come in shy of half a foot in Park City itself while for most northern mountains south of I-80, including Park City Mountain, and for Deer Valley, we could generally see another 5 to 10 inches. Again, it just all depends on where that system sets up. But if that system does move right over top of us, especially for the one that comes in tomorrow, then there is at least an outside chance that we maybe could pick up another foot. And, of course, that's what we'll be keeping our fingers crossed for, Leslie. Okay, Thomas, thank you. You're welcome. And taking a look in the backcountry with us, we have Trent from the Utah Avalanche Center. Good morning. Good morning. Um, yeah, you know, the Utah Avalanche Center, we have issued an avalanche warning, and this will be for the Wasatch Range, so south of I-80. It'll include the western Uintas, the Wasatch Plateau, and the Skyline Mountains of central Utah, 
the Abajo Mountains, which are south of Moab, uh, southeast Utah, and mountain ranges in southwestern Utah, including the Tushers and areas near Cedar City. And the reason why is because several days of strong wind and heavy snowfall are causing large and dangerous avalanches that are running far downhill. Um, we recommend avoid being on or under any steep slope uh, where avalanches run. And we're expecting these conditions to last through the weekend, unfortunately. So, you know, we've had a lot of snow. The riding and turning conditions are epic out there, but the backcountry is very dangerous. Um, I'm not going to read off the full forecast here today like I normally do. All I want to say to everybody out there is that the avalanche danger is high and literally traveling in avalanche terrain is not recommended from us. So avalanche terrain is defined as anything steeper than 30 degrees, but it's really important for us to remember today that we can't be underneath avalanche terrain as well as, you know, we've seen avalanches run thousands of feet right now and they're slamming into the valley bottoms below where many of our trailheads and where people like to walk around um, are being affected by those avalanches. So yeah, no real good news here um, from the backcountry other than we need the snow, we need the water. Um, I guess the one good, good news about all of this snow is that it's actually gonna make our snowpack more stable, just not today. So for now, we've gotta let the mountain, we've gotta back off, we've gotta let the mountains kind of do their thing. That snow will settle, it'll gain a bunch of strength with time, um, but now and likely through the weekend, you know, I think we're pretty nervous over here, um, Leslie, as far as just accidents go and uh, fairly concerned about, about those through the weekend, especially you just heard the weather report with sunshine and clearing skies through the weekend. Um, that's usually the perfect recipe. So for everybody listening out there, just the next few days, please uh, avoid avalanche terrain. You know, if you're out snowmobiling, ride in those flat meadows, you can still have a blast on a snowmobile. Um, and if you're riding on skis or snowboards, avoid those slopes that are steeper than 30 degrees. Okay. Trent, thank you. Stay safe. Thank you. And a quick update managed to get uh, UDOT Public Information Officer John Gleason on the phone in between all of this. And um, unfortunately, he just he couldn't talk to us live. But uh, with regard to the accident that we saw there on the underpass at the Jeremy and Pinebrook roundabout area, the I-80 pass, what they know, he says, is that the plow was traveling eastbound on I-80. They're looking into exactly why the bed of the snow plow was slightly raised, raised enough to hit the bridge on the underpass there at Jeremy Ranch. The good news is there were no injuries, but what happened is that the bed of the track got wedged underneath the bridge, and um, they are um, concerned, of course, about the damage uh, to the bridge. Uh, bridge inspectors, he says, came out right away to survey the bridge and determined that the bridge was structurally sound in terms of there's definitely some damage to the vehicle, but uh, at this point, not sure how much damage. And um, in terms of what happens next, he says they review all of their safety policies with the driver as well as with all of their snowplow operators. And once they determined what happened or if it was a driver area, 
then they review that with the driver and just to make sure that there's an understanding how how situations like that can be prevented he says there could have been a mechanical error and that's a possibility but they'll look into it but anyway for whatever reason he says the bed of that truck shouldn't be up and it was slightly raised enough that it caught the edge of the bridge causing uh, it to separate there from the truck and getting it wedged underneath and of course the driver he says will be tested for any drug or alcohol just to make sure uh, that it wasn't necessarily a reason for that anyway we'll be back with uh, our first guest coming up in the hour I'll be talking with Summit County Council member Tanya Hansen later on in the hour we're celebrating 60 years old with Park City Mountain and CEO Deidre Walsh telling us how we're all going to celebrate finally the longtime executive director of the Alfang and Ski Museum Connie Nelson has announced her retirement she'll be telling us what's next on the phone with me now Summit County Council member Tanya Hansen good morning Tanya Good morning, Leslie. Let's start with the uh, latest discussion with regard to Dakota Pacific held yesterday. Summit County's Housing and Economic Development Manager Jeff Jones presented the council on the affordability of Dakota Pacific's development. The upshot seems to be that they're complying with the county's affordable housing requirements, even exceeding it. Does the council still want to push them for more? Yes, I would say we do. Uh, uh, yeah, Jeff Jones gave a very detailed overview of the AMIs and, and, and how he calculates all of these numbers and how many units should be included for affordable housing in any development. <clears throat> Excuse me, uh, I've got a tickle in my throat, Leslie. Based on his uh, calculations, the Plan C from Dakota Pacific currently offers a surplus of 16.24 affordable ho housing units. However, um, I would say that the county council would like to see more than that. And based on 2.3 of the Snyderville Base General Plan, the Land Use Authority should not approve any new entitlements without community benefits or compelling public interests. Now I've summarized that, that you know, 2.3 code is much lengthier than that, but that's a summary of that code. and. Um, that's, I think, what the, the county council would like to see is more affordable units in there. Yeah. So uh, if Summit County is serious about this project, providing more affordable housing, does it need to step up and offset the profits that Dakota Pacific would not get by building affordable instead of market rate? No. No. Not at all. All right. Well, Councilmember Roger Armstrong was curious about quantifying demand for the low supply of affordable housing. Is it safe to assume that the units are already in high demand? Oh, absolutely. According to uh, Jeff's data yesterday, and I don't have all the numbers in front of me, you know, we are way behind. We're in a deficit of the number of affordable units that we should be having in our county right now. So we need to, you know, be serious and looking and, and working with any development that comes forward to add as much affordable housing as we can to help uh, offset the deficit. Hmm. Well, I, I guess, I mean, we've got 16 units of uh, surplus so I mean something's better than nothing yeah something's better than nothing you're absolutely correct but if you look at our deficit year over year we have a lot of a lot of units to make up for and uh, you know Dakota Pacific is asking for a lot and I think uh, you know, that we should be asking them for more affordable housing to help us. All right. Well, certainly Econ 101 would say that we need enough supply to meet demand to lower housing prices. How big would the development have to be to satisfy that? 
Oh boy, that's a really good question. I really don't have that information. I'm sorry, I can't answer that question. Okay, so it doesn't seem like either the council or Dakota Pacific has moved much on this issue since the talks resumed last month. Um, we've got less than two weeks until a decision is scheduled. What could change before then? Well, I think what you're going to see change is the county council is going to come forward and ask Dakota uh, Pacific for specifics. You know, I don't know what that is right now. We're still working through that, but we need to ask them for specifics. And actually Dakota Pacific asked us for that yesterday, give us some direction. And we really haven't done that. So that is our plan to uh, give them some direction in the near future of what we would like to see. Yeah, but we're like 11 days away. How can that I, possibly happen? I know, Leslie. I don't know. We're, we're working as quickly as we can. With that said, if we get to a point where we feel like we need more time, we will ask for more time and we will change our schedule. And I know the public doesn't want to hear that, but I want to be candid with the public and let that know that is a possibility. That if we need more time to get through this, we could change the schedule. Yeah. So Dakota Pacific CEO Mark Stanworth explained that it can take weeks or months on their end to amend a proposal to get all of the numbers to work. So I'm guessing, was there even a, a chance of amending this so-called Plan C? I'm hopeful there is a chance. I'm very hopeful there is a chance. I think, uh, you know, high level, we could agree to something, and I don't know if we will or not, so I don't want people to freak out about that. High level, we might be able to agree on something, but the details that he's talking about, I agree, would take a very long time for them to sort through those details. But I think there is an opportunity on a high level. Hmm. Now, what about the efforts to make this better uh, at the state legislature? Because I think that that's what we're all thinking, is that some decision needs to be made before March 1st, because there may be a bill in the works at the state legislature that we don't know about. And we don't know about that, and there's not been that conversation with anyone in the legislature. Uh, we were hoping to get through this before the end of the legislature, hoping maybe we would see something good come out of it. But hey, listen, at the end of the day, if we need more time, we need more time. And we need to do what's right for Summit County what isn't, what, and not worry so much about what might be right for the state legislature. That's hmm. my personal opinion. All right. And then there seems to be some some thoughts that uh, UDOT needs to be involved in any of these discussions because that seems to be what's driving this. Um, getting the Kimball Junction uh, road improvements done um, sooner than later. So what can you tell us about that? Well, as you know, in past meetings, you know, uh, UDOT came before us and they said there's, you know, don't look for anything from them until, you know, end of the year at the earliest. Mm -hmm. Uh, we would need to put stipulations on this development that if it moves forward, and that's a big if, uh, it would be contingent on UDOT and working with them to make sure that that Kimball's Junction intersection is on the step, has funding, under construction, whatever those details might be before this development can move forward. Yeah. Um, what kind of lobbying has Summit County engaged in um, at the state legislature with regard to this, or have you not? Well, we do have lobbyists hired, 
and they are at the state legislature and they are you know talking to legislatures i am not in those conversations so i don't want to you know speak out of turn but i know there is conversations happening at the legislature specifically around udot and the traffic and see if we can get some help there all right uh we also learned something new yesterday the senior housing in dakota's proposal would be deed restricted by age not by income so that means that these units would go at market rate was this the first time that the council has heard this? Yeah, I hadn't really dialed into that until yesterday. But, you know, that, that's the proposal on the table right now, and, and that could change. Uh, I would like to see some flexibility on that, but we'll see how that works out. Now, has the council asked its planning staff for a recommendation on this proposal? Uh, no, not specifically. They have been in meetings with the county council as we've discussed this. Um, and they do give us input, but we haven't really asked anything formal of them. Okay, and because this is still involved in a lawsuit, those discussions can take place in closed sessions? Correct. Mm. That's correct. Um, have the council's, uh, the county's attorneys and planners been asked to move forward with findings of fact and conclusions of law, which would be required, my guess, before any approval is granted? Not at this point. All We're right. not there. All right. We still got some work to do, I'll tell you. And, uh, you know, it's tough. We've got a lot of meetings on the books and we spend a lot of time researching this. And there's a lot of uh, work going on with the county council to, to try to figure this out. All right. There is another uh, meeting today. It was uh, scheduled for three. It's been moved back to four o'clock at the Richens building. What will today's discussion focus on? Uh, today's discussion will be a follow-up on yesterday, and hopefully we'll have some firm directions to share with Dakota Pacific of, of things maybe the county's looking for. We're hoping to get to that point today. We'll see. And, and just for the public, that is a change in time. I want them to be aware and move from 3 o'clock to 4 o'clock for the public part of this meeting. All right. And what kind of turnout are you seeing from the public at these uh, special meetings? Not much, frankly. Not, you know... A handful of people in the audience. Yesterday there was maybe two or three people in the audience. There's about 22 people I can see on Zoom. I don't know how many people are on Facebook, but uh, I've been surprised. I thought more people would be showing up in person, and we just haven't seen that. Yeah, difficult, though, for those of us who work. Yes, that's know. true. That's a good point, and it is recorded, and people can go back and listen to it at a later time that's more convenient for them. That's true. Okay, uh, just a couple of other issues. We skipped the legislative update, I guess, just to do, due to time. But uh, regarding the North Summit Recreation Director position, it looks like North Summit is hiring. The council approved the job description for a full-time director. So where's the district headed here? Well, we're hoping they're headed on to bigger and better things. They've been, it's been a volunteer board for quite some time. And, uh, you know, as, as you indicated, people work and have jobs. And so it hasn't moved forward as quickly as we would like to see. Uh, we're hoping with a director, a full-time director, they can help really move uh, North Summit Rec forward uh, at a, a, a faster pace. If people do want to apply for this job, uh, it, what is it on the county's website? Yes, it will be posted. It hasn't been posted yet. We just approved the description yesterday, so I'm sure it will be posted, you know, by tomorrow would be my guess. Okay, and then wanted to talk uh, about the Ura Ranch open house. You were at that a couple of weeks ago in Camas. Um, what did you hear from the community about how the county should use that land if we actually do close on it? 
Well, it was a great open house. I mean, uh, there were so many people there. I was I was stunned when I walked through the door. A lot of really great questions. You know, people are very concerned. They want the north fields, you know, that's behind the Weller Recreation. They want all of that left open. And I think Sheriff Fox was on your radio this week talking about uh, some uh, grant money that's come forward to help on that. People want it open space. They want to make sure that it's left in ag. If there's any development at all, they want it to be very, very small, and they want it to be very selective of where that might be placed. They don't want it in the open meadows. Uh, and of course, neither do I. As you know, I lived on Democrat Alley for 28 years, and I overlooked that that land, and it's near and dear to my heart, and I want to see it preserved like everyone else does. There was some conversation with some folks that maybe a portion of it, and it's hard to describe where this portion is, is kind of some upland areas might be good for trails, walking trails, mountain biking, that type of thing. But but the constituents, you know, are pretty vocal. They don't want to see a lot happen on that property. Hmm. You know, we're talking about more than 800 acres. Uh, as you mentioned, about 100 of those acres will be preserved by some land conservancy. Uh, the portion north of 248, people assume that the entire portion south of 248, I think, which uh, I guess should people assume that the entire portion of the, the other side, which has been called the opportunity area, will that get developed? Well, that opportunity area is a flat area out there, kind of a meadow area. I don't anticipate that being developed at all. Um, if anything, and we don't know, we're still researching all of this and looking for, you know, opportunities of conservation buyers, that kind of thing. If there's any development at all, it would be very small and a community benefit. The ranch does have valuable water rights. Um, yeah. What's the county going to do with those? Use them? Sell them? No, we're not going to sell them. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty confident about that. We would use them to maintain the ag on the property. And, you know, if there's any teeny-weeny development that might be used there, but uh, our anticipation is to keep those water rights. All right, and we know the aquifer underneath the Camas Meadow it would make it tricky to build on because it is so sensitive. Um, do we know if development is feasible on no. any portion of the ranch? We, we haven't even, you know, we we've, haven't really gone down that road quite yet. We're still, you know, looking at all of those options. Um, if, if there's any development, it would be very, very small. All right. How much more feedback uh, will the council be soliciting from the public? Well, we are having another open house on uh, the last day of February, February 29th, uh, in the same location, Summit County Services Building in Camas, and we're looking for folks to show up and, and offer any more additional uh, feedback. It's great to have the public involved in this. It's such an iconic piece of property in that, in that valley. It's important for people to tell us what they're interested in. Yeah. And what about uh, the towns of Camas and Francis? Um, have they been involved in, in future plans? They have been. We've had numerous meetings with the mayors and some of the planning commission, and actually some of the city council showed up at a meeting uh, to talk to us about their thoughts of what should happen with that property. We've really tried to be inclusive and uh, have everyone give us their feedback. Yeah, so any talk about <clears throat> perhaps annexation by Camas or... Camasin is interested in annexation. 
uh, especially uh, there's a, a barn across the street that's being built, uh, across the street from Wellers, that's being built by Ballerina Farms. And uh, they're interested in having annexation to that property so they can get uh, sewer and water, actually. Uh, so we've been having a lot of conversations with Cama City about that. And you'll be seeing some things come forward regarding that in the very near future. Okay. Tanya, anything else you want to mention? No, thank you for your time today. All right. Thank, thank you. That's Summit County Council Member Tanya Hansen. Hard to believe Park City Mountain is already 60 years old, but the town is celebrating this weekend. In the studio with details, I have the Chief Operating Officer of Park City Mountain, Dieter Walsh. Good morning. Good morning, Leslie. So it sounds like a weekend full of celebration. I don't, I, I, there's a schedule somewhere, but I to, to go through it would be kind of nuts. But we're starting kicking things off, I guess, tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. Yeah, we are thrilled to be celebrating our 60th anniversary this season. We've had lots of activations throughout the year, but this is really our, our big three-day weekend to bring the community, our employees, and guests together just to throw a great long party. It starts, like you said, on Friday with uh, different activations we have throughout the resort and a uh, concert at Canyons Village that's in partnership with the Canyons Village Management Association, the CVMA. The band that night are the Pranksters. So they are a local Grateful Dead cover band. We think that'll be super fun for everyone to come out, maybe live back your uh, 1960s, 70s, 80s and beyond there and just have a great time. And then we get to have a fireworks show that night as well. They start at 6.30. Okay, so the Pranksters are gonna be live at the Canyons Village Forum um, going, I mean, with the fireworks till about seven o'clock. So the cab is going to stay open a little yep. bit later, make sure everybody gets down. Yep, you've got the cab option um, until after the festivities wrap up there, and the concert starts at 4.30. Okay, but it does sound like during the day, you've got, during the ski day, you've got things happening also over at Park City Village. We do. So um, starting tomorrow through Sunday, daily from 11 a.m. until 3 p.m., we have a great uh, variety of partner activations in different parts of the resort. So I'll walk through that. We have a Red Pine Lodge, so that's out of Canyon. Village, the Mountain Dew Bass Bash. So we'll have a lounge area, DJ Maddie Moe playing all day, uh, giveaways there. If you can imagine what a Yeti looks like on a koozie, we're going to be giving away some fuzzy uh, Yeti koozies that day at Red Pine Lodge. Then if you head over to Miner's Camp, uh, we have the Toyota Music Den that's unplugged. So we have a live musician, uh, again, all three days, Simba Sax. So I haven't heard Simba Sax before, but excited to hear that artists play. And we've got a great ski beach at Miner's Camp as well. So if we get some sunshine, a great place to hang out. Then at Legacy Lodge, which is at the base of a Mountain Village, we have the Kona Big Wave Ski Beach. So we've got a great deck on the second floor of Legacy Lodge, overlooks Payday and Home Run. So you can hang out there all day. We'll have another live DJ, and we're going to be giving out balaclavas. And then at Canyons Village Forum, we have the Toyota Takeaway uh, Takeover Village. So we'll have vehicle displays of new Toyotas there, and they are going to be doing custom goggle straps as well. So it will be a fun takeaway. And then throughout the concert on Friday, and then we've got our big concert too on Saturday at Mountain Village, we will um, have complimentary 60th anniversary posters to give away. We'll have pins, stickers, all sorts of really fun things. Okay. Um, so again, that's Friday, we're going to move on to Saturday yeah. with very similar activations there throughout the day. 
You also have um, live music happening on the Mountain Village side of things. We do, and I'm thrilled about this. So Mountain Village side, this will be in the Payday Eagle Plaza. So right outside of Legacy Lodge near um, the Eagle statue. And we have a live performance by a band, Wilderado. They are out of Tulsa. They are a indie rock group. Um, I've played on Jimmy Kimmel Live. They toured with Band of Horses. I'm really excited to have them come. I hear they put on a great live show. They begin at 4.30. We'll have DJs on the stage prior to that, but they'll play at 4.30 for about an hour and a half um, or so, and we'll just be a great, fun community event. Okay, again, uh, everything's free. Everything is free. Yep, we'll have food and beverage options uh, at both villages during the concert, uh, beer garden, uh, grill food as well. We have partnered with Wasatch Brewery for our Park 60 IPA. These really great cans, if you haven't seen them, they are an original image from a guest on the top of Home Run. Uh, with a great background, so come and enjoy uh, a drink and some food and some great live music. I remember Wasatch Brewery for the 25th anniversary yes. with a special edition of, and the label was uh, kind of a, from Judy Taylor Watercolor. Yeah. It was so lovely. Yeah. yeah, this is a great image. It's it's really a fun one. Yeah. All right. And then on Sunday, the 11th, we're going to kind of wrap things up. But again, uh, all day activations really going what till about three or so? About three o'clock each day. Um, you know, and I think with these giveaways, we'll make sure they last as long as they can but we know people are excited about them in particular the 60th anniversary posters we gave out a couple thousand of those on opening day uh, with an iconic image of the orange bubble and so this uh, poster series is a series of three so we'll have the second one on both Friday and Saturday night and that will have um, I won't tell you exactly what it is but it's an iconic um, tribute to our mining history okay worth Worth, hearing worth, about. Checking, yeah. worth checking it out. Okay. Well, uh, the resort actually opened first, December 21st, 1963. We kind of, what, pushed back the celebration just given how busy it is, Christmas holidays and then Sundance. and Yeah, so we really kicked it off with our opening day uh, for the season there, and we thought this was a great weekend, kind of midpoint of the season in between uh, peak holidays here, um, and then we'll continue to have some celebrations between now and closing day and, um, and some fun things for closing day planned as well. Okay, yeah. so we have hit halfway through the we season. We have. We hit, we hit halfway on uh, last Tuesday was our mid, midway point uh, with our planned closing day of April 14th. So, you know, never say never. You never know if things change from that, but April 15th, 14th, excuse me, is our planned closing day. Okay, well, uh, and just in time then, right? I mean, we've got a um, bunch of new snow, and I don't know, did you have you looked at what we, at that halfway mark, are we ahead of what we are traditionally or um, we're about average right now so with the snow we had this week we've got 221 inches uh, that we've had for season to date and uh, this week has just been awesome it's been great to get some fresh powder out there we had 11 inches in the last two days um, 66 inches since January 15th so you never know when the snow gods are going to appear but it's been great to have them here uh, these last few weeks and uh, looking forward to always the second half of February and we love March it's a popular time of year for everybody and you know a nice mix of snow and sunshine is makes for a great March yeah and traditionally I think March has the most snowfall anyway yeah. so we've got more to come we're hopefully. counting on it all right well let's just talk about how is the 60th uh, season going the season's going really well I'm I want to just make sure I thank the employees 
I'm just so proud of the team that's out there that works around the clock. You know, it's a 24-hour operation when you think about snowmaking and our groomers that are out there overnight and our employees that arrive first thing in the morning to get uh, snow safety if that's needed and get our lifts ready, uh, spinning. But it's been a really great season, um, you know, thus far, and we're looking forward to the second half here. Okay. And I know you had some mechanical issues with uh, one of the chairlifts. I'm sorry, I don't remember if it was payday or... Payday. Payday. Yeah. Yeah. So that's been figured out? Yeah, it's been figured out. You know, we have such a, a large and complex system of our lifts. You know, we operate 41 across, you know, over 7,000 acres. Our team works so hard to make sure that those lifts are spinning every day. And sometimes there are things that are just outside of our control, uh, power issues, um, you know, parts that... Uh, you know, might have a, a failure that's surprising and our team is there around the clock and I think it's a great example of payday. I think we had team there until three or four o'clock in the morning um, working to get that spinning again and it was spinning the next day. Wow. Yeah. That's great because I, I remember it was closed many years ago. Um, there was like a gearbox issue, issue and you just couldn't get the parts so it was. Yeah, these are <laughs> like I said large complex issues but an incredible team that is working hard to make sure that our lifts are spinning every day. Okay, and um, with regard to the Mountain Village, you feel like you've really got that dialed in now, parking reservations. Um. Yeah, I'm really proud of the way that that program has um, come to fruition, starting with last season, and this season has been, um, you know, always just looking to refine things here and there, but I think our guests have come to expect that they need to make reservations, and so, again, just for details on that, free for carpool, which is four plus, free after one o'clock. Um, you can make reservations via our uh, app or online. Um, and then always public transportation. And I'd like to make a plug for that too, for the parties that we have this weekend, both out of Canyons Village and Mountain Village. Just a good reminder, take the bus um, if you've got that option um, to come and visit the resorts for the great concerts that we have planned. Okay. Um, any news with regard to the parking lot applications? Are we going to see anything come out of that? The parking lot application out of uh, Canyons Village, that is the master developer uh, TCFC. So I know that they've been working closely with the county on that project. I don't have an update on that that I could share today. Yeah. And then what about uh, Park City Mountain Village? Um, any, any news there with may, what may happen at the, the three parking lots? We don't have any updates on the base area plans there. What I'll just say is, you know, myself and the team are always looking for opportunities to improve the overall guest experience and invest in the resort. We'll continue to do that. We're excited about the Sunrise Gondola that we will be installing out of Canyons Village. It's a two-year project. Um, so we'll get that going uh, this summer for part of the construction. And then the following summer, we'll wrap that up and we'll have it ready to go after that. Um, but yeah, we're always looking for opportunities to improve the guest experience. And um, we know how important the village experiences are for our guests and for our community and for our employees. Okay, Deidre, anything else you wanted to mention? Uh, just looking forward to throwing a great community event. Come out and uh, enjoy a day of skiing and riding and save for the music. Okay, thank you. Great. Thank you. Deidre Walsh is the COO of Park City Mountain. And again, uh, a weekend long to celebrate 60 years of Park City Mountain. Again, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. You can find out more by going to parkcitymountain.com. Well, Utah is halfway through its annual 45-day legislative session. KPCW's Christine Weller has an update on some of the proposed bills. One bill garnering attention has been introduced by Summit County Republican Representative Kara Berkland. House Joint Resolution 24 would amend the Utah Constitution to allow state-operated lotteries. Right now, the code is written to prohibit any kind of raffle that requires a purchase. 
However, KUER politics reporter Sage Miller says even if it doesn't make it far in the legislature this year, it will likely return next legislative session. Another bill of note, HB 355, requires landlords to give tenants 60 days notice before raising rent. Republican Representative Marsha Judkins sponsored the legislation. She says there's no statute requiring landlords to give any notice to tenants, although many write 30 days notice in the contract. Housing costs have been increasing faster than incomes have been increasing. So this would allow adequate time, I hope, for a renter or a family to figure out whether they could absorb an increase in rent into their budget or if they need to be looking for another place to live. Judkins says this will also benefit landlords since turnover and evictions are expensive. The bill is awaiting debate in the House. Utah's 2024 and 2023 legislative sessions also introduced bills to combat sensitive or pornographic materials in schools. Recently introduced HB 417 would criminalize public school employees who have not removed books deemed indecent or pornographic. This is on top of proposed changes to Utah's sensitive materials law, which sets a threshold for removing sensitive materials in schools. If three school districts deem something a sensitive material, then all 42 school districts must remove it. Lawmakers have also proposed changes to Utah's Social Media Regulation Act passed in 2023. The bill requires social media platforms to verify the age of users and get consent from a guardian if a user is a minor. Now lawmakers are proposing a change so people would no longer have to upload an ID. While the change would no longer require parental consent, there will be other measures to ensure minors don't have access to content meant for adults. Utah's 2024 legislative session ends March 1st. Christine Weller, KPCW News. The longtime executive director of the Alfang and Ski Museum Foundation, Connie Nelson, has announced her retirement. She joins me now in studio. Good morning, Connie. Good morning, Leslie. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. So you've been serving as executive director there for how long? Well, 20 years. Um, I started um, in 2002 after the Games. Uh, prior to that, I worked for SLOC, the Salt Lake Organizing Committee, um, if, from 1999 to 2002 as the business manager for Utah Olympic Park. We worked with Craig Leto, had a great experience with the games and 17 days of, you know, the most fun you could ever have during the games. And then when the games are done, you don't have a job. They were building this beautiful Joe Quinney Winter Sports Center, you know, 10 feet away from the day lodge. And I went, that looks like fun. So anyway, um, we had some discussions and I um, started as the assistant director when the Alfing and Ski Museum opened. And uh, then two years after being assistant director, then I was the director, so 20 years. Mm -hmm. So I've seen it from when we were you know, first moving the media out from the, uh, the Olympics um, to now where you know, we have three full-time staff and 12 part-time staff and uh, we're free museums. We work hard to ensure that public can go there seven days a week and uh, just enjoy the history of skiing with new exhibits each year. So it's been, it's been my life and it's been fun and uh, I'm gonna continue to, to, you know, to help out wherever I can. But um, as, uh, as we look out this window and I see some fresh powder there, Leslie, I'm thinking, you know, this would be the day I could <laughs> just be up there skiing. So I'm excited for the next chapter and uh, really grateful for KBCW Radio in this community because we, the Alfing and Ski Museum is a separate foundation from Utah Olympic Legacy Foundation. We raise our own money. Everything we do is uh, by ourselves and uh, make sure that, uh, you know, we keep the history of skiing and snow sports alive in the Intermountain West and also the Eccles 2002 Olympic Museum on the second floor. So we worked hard to ensure everything's clean and ready for the public 
and uh, it's just been fun to to actually see that grow and now it's it's blossomed and everything's going really well so i figured this was the time to to go when everything's going well yeah so you're open seven days a week all year long nine to six p.m really even during the kind of shoulder seasons huh every day we only close on christmas day and thanksgiving so yeah we are it's been yeah that's why you know it's been a full-time life uh job because you know if somebody can't come in on a sunday or they get sick at 3 p.m or last year just time after time they couldn't get up the canyon um then you know it's it's you it's me so it's fun and uh, it's great but yeah we have such great community support um our balance sheet looks great Um, people have been very um supportive of the museum and can please do continue and we're looking for a fabulous new executive director. Yeah. We'll talk about that just in a little while because you mentioned two museums and this was news to me. I never realized that there were two museums. Um, so you run just the Alf Engen portion or do you run the 2002 one as well? Great question. So um, the Alf Engen Ski Museum um, is, you know, foundation is the name of our foundation. But we built the building um, in 1999. Well, 2002, they broke ground and then it was finished um, in 2002. The deal was, was um, uh, to have the museum up there, $1 a year for 50 years. We made sure we paid the dollar um, in advance so that uh, we, um, Spencer F. Eccles, um, said, let's do this museum up at the Utah Olympic Park. We're going to have the games. It's the perfect location. They were looking at six different other locations throughout Wasatch County and the front, um, you know, Alta. Um, but, uh, yeah, it just seemed to make more sense because the games were coming. So... Um, they built the building, they being the Alfing Ski Museum Foundation, with great support from the Quinney family, from the Eccles family, the usual, you know, families that really pitch in and help make this community and, and the cultural vibrancy that we have. Um, for $11.1 million in 2002, the building was built. And the caveat was that that building was going to be used as a media subcenter for the 2002 games. 385 media were in that building. It's 30,000 square feet, three stories. First story is, uh, well, anyway, I'll go back into that. So after the media, um, after the games were finished, they moved all the media out. And there's all sorts of plugs and different fiber cables and everything that were used for the games. Um, so uh, May of 2002, uh, we moved in our Academy Studios exhibits on the first floor from California, and they were all interactive. Um, and then uh, that was a soft opening. And then July uh, 2002 was the grand opening for the Alfingen Ski Museum. In the meantime, the 2002 Olympic Museum, history was made during the 2002 Games, so we had the space on the second floor. So we started with some great big panels of photos um, that were from the front pages of each of the magazines for every day of the 17 days and uh, featuring athletes and big colorful pictures while we created the Eccles 2002 Olympic Museum. So that was finished um, in uh, 2004. So uh, then we had all the interactive exhibits, and it's really classy. We hired Libby Highland, who was the creative director for SLOC, the Salt Lake Organizing Committees, for the opening ceremonies. So the look and the feel of the second floor is all about um, the games. Whether you were a volunteer, an athlete, um, or you worked at the games, you get the feel, or a spectator. It's got the angles, the colors, the branding. And it's it's really fun because people still can relive 2002 Olympics. Okay, but again, that's what I mean. Alfangen Foundation cares for that. We do yeah, at the okay. moment. It yeah. was uh, it was a partnership between the Utah Olympic Legacy Foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, they paid half, and we paid half. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we take that on as a 
as part of our privé. Yeah. All right. You also host the Intermountain Ski Hall of Fame there yes. as well. Right. Yeah. We uh, we host that out. Uh, we had, we started in the theater, you know, but that only holds about 150. Um, 200. We were sitting, you know, back by the bathroom. So we we went out to the uh, great big tent that the Utah Lake Legacy Foundation event staff um, has for events. And so we went uh, and started, we were able to hold between 200 and 225 in that. Last year, um, there were some uh, just some construction going on behind the tent. So we went to Stein Erickson Lodge with the Chateau. And uh, that was great too. So yeah, every year, uh, August August 21st, 2024. So you're going to need to expand though to to because I think you're about filled with the we're room always, for plaques. We're all, you know what? Thank you for bringing that up. That's our next big project, $388,000, which uh, we have half the funding for. We had a board meeting yesterday and they approved phase one. We are out of room. We have 91 inductees in the Hall of Fame, Intermount Ski Hall of Fame. And, uh, you know, lots of locals here. You know, we have Larry Warren and Jim Gaddis and, you know, all the usual suspects in that Hall of Fame. And, Leslie, you and Dar have been to a lot of those. And it's a, it's a great event. Um, so we're, we are redoing the whole entrance to the museum. We've actually got um, Ski Fashion and also Spencer F. Eccles' Coat Collection. And then the Hall of Fame is being redone. Okay. I want you to, to kind of back up here and just maybe explain the origin of the name and uh, maybe just why that museum was needed here in Park City. Oh, that's a great question. Okay. So uh, back in the 1989, um, Alan Engen um, had some friends and uh, they decided that they needed to do something with Alf's, Alf Engen's, uh, all of his, his, his trophies and his spoons, which were trophies, and all of his uh, skis. And he was a, a, an absolute legend and his legend lives on. And so they were going to build a small, they being the charter members, of which Barbara um, Yamada is on, uh, Mike Korologos, um, Alan Ingen, and uh, anyway, so they were gonna build an A-frame up at Alta to house, uh, to start a museum. And the charter members uh, put the, they, I've even still got the drawing of the little A-frame. And so then, of course, the, uh, Alf Ingen was good friends with Joe Quinney, and Joe Quinney with Ray Quinney Nebaker. Um, he was a, a you know a, a attorney down in Salt Lake, and they continue to be great supporters. Um, so you know Joe Quinney said, well let's let's look bigger. And so as with anything, you you get that seed of an idea, and then as people come on board, and you know as, I just cannot believe the the philanthropic uh, facilities that happen here in in Utah. Um, so yeah, Joe Quinney. Put some funding in the Eccles, you know, once, once again, Spencer F. They said, let's go up to the Utah Olympic Park and let's expand it to the Inner Mountain region, not just Alfing and Ski Museum at Alta. So now it's, it's you know, Wyoming, Idaho, and Utah in the Inner Mountain region. And uh, obviously the Olympic 2002 Games upstairs. So, and we're looking toward 2034. I've already planted the seed with Fraser, also Kat, and said, hey, we need a 2034 museum. So we have the facility ready for when the stories are made. So I think it's a good time 10 years from now, Leslie, someone young and enthusiastic can start that next museum. And of course, Alf, I'm what I remember off the top of my head, he was a ski, ski school director at Alta for many years, but he was also very, very famous for his ski jumping. Oh yeah, that's he came from Norway, uh, 2029. Yeah, and he yeah came over to the from Utah from Michigan and uh, you know started a ski school. The Ecker Hill right here, our local Ecker Hill, uh, started uh, the ski jumping there. He was a world champion. He he broke uh, the world record two days, two times in one day. Um, he was also such an athlete 
and for everyone who met him, um, he was a humble, um, giving man. He believed in children learning to ski and enjoying skiing. And what a lot of people don't know is he actually founded 31 ski resorts. He worked for the Forest Service. And they'd say, well, where, you know, what do you think about uh, where the runs can go? So he would go up there and, and skin up and work out where the runs would go for Snow Basin, for Sun Valley, for Alta, yeah, and Snowbird. So he was a true legend and a humble man and a great namesake for our museum. So you're leaving March 31st, the board um, is or will be accepting applications? Right now we're accepting al applications and uh, you can put your uh, PDF of your cover letter and your resume to ingenmuseumjobs.uolf.org. Go to our website, ingenmuseum.org. There's a position description. There's uh, where to mail to email your um, your cover letter and resume. And please, please, it's a great job. And we have great employees, great supporters, a great board. So it's, it, and docents, our local docents. Thank you, thank you, docents. Yeah. So um, what kind of experience, I mean, would somebody need in this job? Well, yeah, we're looking at uh, somebody who has, you know, really we're looking for a person, like the heart and soul. You know, when you're in this position, you're, you're, out, you're out talking, you're out enjoying um, the people in the museum. You know, 475,000 people come into our museum a year, uh, you know, who come in and look at the history of skiing and um, go to the Utah Olympic Park and uh, enjoy the cultural aspects. So the person who is a uh, you know, enjoys the outdoor, enjoys skiing, enjoys snow sports, and uh, enjoys staff and uh, interacting with people. But yeah, we're looking for, um, you know, personality first and foremost, but also the experience with um, maybe a nonprofit, um, fundraising, uh, docents, looking at education programs. Uh, but yeah, lots of different areas, but we're looking for a really dynamic person. So if someone's looking for a fun job, we've got it for you. Okay. And then what's next for you? Oh, well, um, looking out that window, probably skiing um, on a Tuesday <laughs> or a Wednesday, um, mountain biking down south, um, hiking with friends, and volunteering and helping out in the community. This, this community is my life, and, um, you know, people like you and Renee and everybody who's, who always helps each other in the community, I still want to be a part of that. But, uh, yeah, and be able to go out and enjoy. I have a Sprinter van, Leslie, mm. and that thing hasn't been rolling very much for the last... So it was a COVID Sprinter van. <laughs> <laughs> I find I need... I can get out in that now. So okay. that'll be fun. <laughs> okay. Well, great job at the, the museum there, Connie. Best Thank of luck you. to you, and thanks for, thanks for coming in today. Thanks, Leslie. That's Connie Nelson, again, the outgoing executive director of the Alf Engen Ski Museum Foundation.